Hey friends, it's good to be with you this morning. Real quick as we get into our time together and our message, just wanna remind you that next Sunday is the first Sunday of October, October 3rd, I think, and we will be at Hawthorne Academy for our macro gatherings. Uh, I know if you were with us in person uh, for the macro gathering in September, we talked about, we're not sure if they're gonna let us in, but they have confirmed that they will honor, they will be able to honor our reservations for October, November, and December. We are also working on um, maybe what it would look like to pivot slightly and to provide some more in-person fellowship opportunities that are a little bit more creative. And so be on the lookout for that. Nothing really new to share right now, but just want to let you know that uh, behind the scenes, we are praying and meeting a lot on how to ramp uh, back into getting together in person every week uh, as God would lead us and see fit. And so I want to ask you to continue praying for us. And if the Lord gives you creative ideas, we are all for that. Um, so yeah, next Sunday, October 3rd, we'll see you at Hawthorne Academy in person. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, we are starting um, today a new kind of series uh, I don't know what we're calling it. If it's anything other than emotionally healthy spirituality, then we've come up with a more creative name. But for lack of a better term, we're going to spend the next eight weeks or so um, really digging into what it looks like to have a, a, a healthy life with God um, with our emotions. Now, I know that when we say emotions, and I'm kind of curious, um, when we say emotions, how many of you freak out because you're make, make not an emotion person or you're not an emotional person? Um, I am not an emotional person. Um, if you know me, you know that I can I can very quickly go from kind of being numb to like feeling big, loud, scary emotions really quickly. And I don't feel a lot of smaller, nuanced emotions. Uh, I'm not sure if that's part of my makeup or if that's part of my formation. Um, I wish I felt more than I do. But by God's grace, don't worry. Like I think the last like six years, I have cried more and felt more than I ever have. And I think God's doing a work in me on that. Um, coincidentally, about six years ago, I started um, working through this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. I highly encourage you to grab it and read with it, read it, read it with us this fall, uh, as we will be working off of this as a template we also have a course of about, I think, 10 or 15 people that are meeting on Tuesday nights that have already begun, and we'll be offering that again in the uh, in the springtime um, with the relationships component of that that you are more than welcome to jump in on. Um, why are we talking about emotions? You know, Jesus said, he did say, that we ought to love the Lord with all of our heart, as well as our mind and our soul and our strength. It's difficult to love God with your heart with your emotions, with your will, with your desires. If you're not emotionally developed or emotionally mature, or if you're emotionally stunted. And so much of what God's been doing in my life in the last six months has been growing me up emotionally so that I can feel the feelings. Um, God is a God who feels, and we will learn that um, throughout our time together, that God has emotions and we're created in his image. And so if God feels emotions and we are creating his image and we don't feel emotions or we're not emotionally healthy, that is a cause for concern and a cause for deep formation, discipleship, prayer, counseling. If it comes to that, I know I've needed that. So I just want to encourage you to uh, jump on board with us and uh, pursue a, a, a relationship with God 
that is a little bit more mature and healthy emotionally than, than you were last week or yesterday or even today. You know, sometimes things look great on the surface, but underneath the surface, the story is very different. Like an easy example of this is a duck. If you walk along the river walk, like I like to do a lot, especially in cooler weather, you can see ducks all the time. I love seeing ducks land and love seeing the mama ducks or the baby ducks. Um, I, lo I love watching ducks in the water. And above the surface, a duck is smooth and calm above the water. Um, you could even use the word like graceful. Um, sometimes a duck uh, swimming in the water is very graceful. But if you are ever able to look underneath the water, um, they are paddling like there's no tomorrow. There's a lot of activity underneath the surface of, a, of, a, of the water with a duck that we don't see. Um, a sobering example of this illustration is Pearl Harbor. You know, on December 7th, 1941, a radar picked up a large formation of planes and the officer in the room said, don't worry about it, it's nothing. You know, on the surface, they said, don't worry about it, it's nothing. But we all know that that was not reality and that was not the truth. As a sobering example, a hilarious example is in 1977, uh, the CEO of a company called Digital Equipment. Have you ever heard of a company called, I've never heard of that company, there's a reason why. But in 1977, the CEO of Digital Equipment said, quote, there's no reason for anyone to have a computer in their house. Now on the surface, in 1977, most probably agreed with the leader of a company called Digital Equipment. If there was anyone who thought we should have digital equipment in houses, it would have been this guy. Now, you and I have not just digital equipment in our homes, we have digital equipment in our pockets and in our cars and, and on our wrists. Pretty crazy. Now, the inverse of this can also be true. Sometimes things appear terrible and bleak on the surface, but underneath the story is very, very different. Elvis is a great example of this. When Elvis first performed in Nashville in 1954, his manager told him, son, you ain't going nowhere. You should go back to driving a truck. In Germany, when Einstein was 10 years old, his teacher told him he wouldn't amount to anything. When Barbara Walters first started out, she was told that her voice was terrible and that no one would let her broadcast, much less listen to her. Here's the point. Many times, things are not as they appear to be. Of course, the greatest example of this is the crucifixion and resurrection. When Jesus died that Friday afternoon, on Good Friday, he looked like a total failure, alone, a failure, none, most none of his people around except for John and his mother and a few others. On Good Friday, it appeared that Jesus was a failure, and on that resurrection Sunday morning, Mary and the disciples had to reckon with the reality that things are not as they appear to be. They thought Jesus was dead, but in fact, he is risen. Things are not always as they seem to be. Now, we are embarking, as I mentioned, on this deep journey, not just called emotionally healthy spirituality, but it's broader than that. It's an effort and a journey towards emotionally healthy discipleship. Now this fall, we're going to be focusing on the first half of this um, course called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which focuses on our vertical relationship with God, emotionally healthy spirituality. 
Uh, we will learn to go beneath the surface to pursue an emotionally healthy spirituality with God. Later in, in the spring of 2022, we'll work through what it looks like to have emotionally healthy relationships with others. So in essence, we are, for these eight weeks and then eight weeks in the new year, we will be studying how we can love God more faithfully and how we can love others more faithfully to line up with those two great commandments. One constant illustration that we'll be using is the illustration of an iceberg. Now we're all familiar with icebergs and the Titanic, and there is great wisdom in understanding the iceberg. Usually what we see above the water line is only about 10%. The 90% under the surface has great impact on us and the lives of others. And the thing about all of our icebergs is this, what's beneath the surface of our lives comes out in times of great stress. I'll say that again. We all have icebergs, and what's beneath the surface of our icebergs, our lives, comes out in times of great stress. You know, we have been in an extraordinary season of great stress and great disruption and great heartache. What has been coming out of you in this season? Today we're going to look at Saul in the Old Testament. And Saul is a prime example of someone with loads of potential. He was called by God and anointed by God for great things, but the problem was he was emotionally disengaged. He was emotionally unhealthy. And he had no prayerful or contemplative life with God. Saul was called and anointed, but that wasn't enough. Emotionally, he was unhealthy. And not only did he hurt others and fail to live into God's calling on his life, he caused God to regret making him king. Sit with that for a moment. It is possible to make God regret doing something. What do you do with that? But Saul did it. Saul, Saul's emotional unhealth and his level of checking out and being unaware of what was going on around him and inside of him caused God to regret anointing him. And we would do well to learn from his lessons. So I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We will start in verse uh, 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And what I just want to pause and point out to you here is we see three emotions. We see God, or we see the Lord regretting. That's an emotion. And then Samuel the prophet has two emotions. He's angry and he cries all night long. I mean, just consider the emotions that are here. Verse 12, and Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told, Samuel, Saul came to Caramel, Carmel. And behold, check this out, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and, the, and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. 
Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, the fight against them, uh, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Alamech, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, and this is an incredible quote here because Jesus will quote this to the Pharisees as well. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption or arrogance is, an in, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. This is the word of our Lord. Now, there is a lot to unpack here. I'm not going to get into the context here. Uh, and if you are a modern or postmodern Western American, um, a lot of this, especially a lot of uh, the commands of God towards Saul seem outlandish. Um, and we're not going to get into that um, right now. However, the, the big thing is, is um, there were some enemies of God, the Amalekites, and God called Saul to go and defeat them. And he gave very specific instructions to defeat all of them. But Saul did not obey the voice of the Lord completely. He obeyed half as much, and he kept the king, and he allowed the people to keep the best, and he started to rationalize. He started to think, well, let me think through these things, and, and it won't be so bad. Like, let's not waste this stuff. Let's take this, and then let's make it an offering to the Lord. At the end of the day, the thing that Saul failed to do was listen and obey. I want to um, just highlight some aspects of Saul's life that are deeply, dis uh, deeply discouraging and they should be alarming to us if we see them in our lives. Saul said no to a lot of things, but he said no to at least three things that I want to quickly draw your attention to. The first thing is he said no to humility. The second thing is he said no to self-awareness and self-reflection. And the third thing is he said no to cultivating a relationship with God. Saul said no to humility. Now in verse 12, we see that Saul set up a monument to himself. How crazy is that? The pride and the arrogance. I mean, there is no humility in Saul. And, and worse, he's overly concerned with what people think about him. 
He even admits to being afraid of, of the people and what they think. He has no concern for what God thinks of him, and the only concern um, that he has is for what others will think of him. He is living his life for the approval of others instead of the approval for God, which is much of what Jesus teaches against in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. And listen, before we cast a stone and judge Saul severely, we should consider if there's any ways in which we erect monuments to ourselves in pride these days. Now, most people don't build idolized stone statues for the public to see, but we may be guilty of doing the same thing digitally. It's a fascinating and sobering exercise to look out, to, to, to look at what we post on social media through this lens. If you are carefully curating the image that you are putting out for the public to see through an app or through social media, you may be doing the same thing Saul did. You may be setting up a digital monument to yourself. Saul was overly concerned with how people viewed him so much that he set up a monument in his best image and likeness for the public to see. And my friends, I'm convicted that we kind of do the same thing. We just do it through social media. Do you say no to humility? Say yes to humility. Are you in any way overly concerned with how people view you and, and how people think of you? Are you living in the fear of what other people think? Do you set up monuments to yourself? The second thing Saul said no to was he said no to um, self-awareness and reflection. In verse 13, he blesses Samuel and claims to have obeyed God fully. And when Samuel confronts Saul with the sound of the sheep, Saul blames the people. There's no self-awareness and no impulse to reflect on reality and repent. Saul's looking at himself with rose-colored glasses. He does this again in verse 19 and verse 21 later. He claims to have obeyed the voice of the Lord and blames the people for the spoils taken. In verse 24, he eventually admits that he fears the people and obeyed their voice. But that repentance is really half repentance. It's not done with his full heart. He admits he's afraid of the people, but he is unaware of just how deep his need for the approval of other people is. He's jealous of others. He gets jealous of David, so much so that he tries to have him killed at least six times. Saul thinks he's doing God's will. That's the problem. He isn't doing God's will, but he thinks that he is. There is no self-awareness and self-reflection in Saul. The third thing Saul said no to is, he said no to cultivating a relationship with God. Now, this is obvious but easily missed. God has to come to Saul through a prophet. God has to come to Saul through Samuel. Um, Saul isn't listening to God. He doesn't hear God's voice. He doesn't speak to God. He has no rhythms of praying like Daniel had or like David had. We see elsewhere in the scripture um, people um, regularly praying and talking to God. We, we, see, we don't see that in Saul's life. Nowhere in the scriptures do we find Saul ever singing, praying, or reflecting. David does this all the time. What is the Psalms if it's not the diary of David vocalizing what is going on around him and inside of him? If you read the Psalms, David's pretty self-aware. He's not perfect. He did some bad things, but he's pretty self-aware of what's going on inside. David reflects a lot. Saul was preoccupied with doing a lot of successful ruling and reigning, but he has no vital connection or life with God. We see David praying and singing and wrestling with God through the Psalms. Saul doesn't do any of this. God anointed Saul king, but after that, we see no cultivation of a life with God. 
He has a public life, but no private life with the Lord. He wants all the blessings and benefits of being God's anointed, but he only listens for when it benefits him and suits his agenda. So Saul said no to humility. He said no to self-awareness and reflection, and he said no to uh, having a, 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 a real life of prayer with God. I want to ask you just this very simple question here is, in this moment right now, are you listening to God deeply? Now, I am not God, so do not mishear me that my voice is God's voice. That is not the case. But as we work through God's word, he's been speaking to you. His word speaks all the time. Are you listening or Here's a challenge. Are you evaluating? Are you evaluating me? Are you evaluating the sermon? Are you evaluating whether God should uh, command for people to be killed in the Amalekites? Are you evaluating whether you like this digital experience or how the audio is if you're listening? Are you, like, like, are you evaluating things and going, well, you know, I never heard it like that before, or I don't know what I think about this, or I don't agree, or I do agree. It's easy to listen to a sermon or a message or a worship song or, or something and to have kind of a backwards posture of evaluation. And that's not, don't miss you, it's not wrong to necessarily evaluate, but I'd like to push you in deeper. A better posture would be, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? Not do I like this or do I agree with this or I've never thought about that or that's nice and cute and you go on with your day. No, 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 like stop right here. Like how is the Lord speaking to you about your level of emotional maturity, about your contemplative life with God, your um, rhythms of prayer, your silence and stillness in your solitude, your um, humility or arrogance or setting up monuments, your self-reflection and self-awareness of what's going on inside of you and around you how is God speaking to you? How is he calling you to move closer to him? I want to encourage you to move beyond evaluating, to move beyond, do I like this emotional, healthy thing? I'd encourage you just to push beyond that and to ask the question, Jesus, Lord, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Where are you calling me to take a step away from myself or away from the world, flesh, or the devil and towards you. Here's kind of the, the sobering news is we all have Saul inside of us. But God wants to take Saul out of us and make us into someone who looks a lot more like David, someone who is after his heart. Now, David wasn't perfect. He made plenty of mistakes, but David had a prayerful and contemplative life with God, and he was able to hear from God, and he was able to listen and repent and obey and express what was beneath the iceberg of his life to God and others through prayer and in song and in writing. We never see Saul waiting on the Lord, ever. We never see Saul waiting on the Lord, but David writes and sings constantly about waiting on the Lord. David knew how to wait on the Lord for years. We don't see Saul ever self-reflecting or praying, but David prayed and reflected all the time. He wrote most of the Psalms that we treasure Saul said no to self-awareness and personal reflection. And I encourage you to join me in saying yes to self-awareness, yes to personal reflection. Saul said no to cultivating a life in a relationship with God. And I encourage you to join me in saying yes to cultivating a life in a relationship with God. Like David, say yes to silence and solitude and prayer, worship, the study and meditation of the scriptures.
I would encourage you, if you don't have this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, go on, go on Amazon and grab it. We'll put a link below if you'd love to go um, just to a direct to it. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by, by Pete Scazzaro. I first read it in 2015. I'm going through it for my third time, and it has been working into my life slowly. It is incredibly biblically-based, and there's a lot of great history and uh, psychology that's in here. It is something that I think all of us need right now. I also want to encourage you to pick up um, this little book called Day by Day, Emotionally Healthy Day by Day. It's a 40-day devotional um, that seeks to go a little bit deeper than quiet time. And it has a very simple framework that is totally doable. It could take you know five to 10 minutes a day, a day to do, where twice a day, I do it morning and evening, but some people could do it morning and midday or midday and evening. Um, but just to twice a day, just to stop, to cease striving, to be still, to know that he's God and to practice, to begin to practice silence so that God can speak to us, to begin to read a very short meditation on the scripture and to reflect deeply on a question and to begin some type of a rhythm of getting beneath the iceberg. Even if you're not going through our course that we're going through right now, I wanna highly encourage you to pick up one or both of these and engage with them um, over this fall. I know this pandemic has, of, of many things, it has ruined our spiritual rhythms. And I know I felt that. And I just highly encourage you, if you are out of rhythm spiritually or you feel stuck or you feel stale, pick this up. I think it's 10 bucks. And go through it. Go through it. Uh, it's blessing me. It's blessing so many others. And it is so simple. It's not cumbersome. It's not burdensome. It's really easy to do. And I encourage you to take this and begin to practice the presence of God in stillness and in silence and in reflection and through the scriptures um, day by day, uh, morning, noon, and night, if you can. To listen and obey is better than sacrifice. That's kind of the point of this text. It's what Saul did not understand. Saul thought doing all these great things for God was what delighted God, but God actually does not delight in the burnt offerings or the sacrifice or the working hard. God delights in our listening and in our obedience. So as we close, what I'd like to do is take some time right now to practice delighting God. Isn't that crazy that you can delight God? And sometimes it's hard to even imagine that God delights in us, but do you know that you can delight God? You can give God delight, not by working hard for him, but by listening, by obeying. And so let's, let's, let's have a couple of minutes where we're gonna practice giving delight to God by being still, by being silent, by giving, by giving our listening ears and our listening hearts to God. So what I invite you to do is to um, get a comfortable posture. And if it would help, you can just open your hand, like place your hands on your lap or whatever. You just have them in an open posture, just as a sign of saying, Lord, I wanna receive life from you. Close your eyes and take some big, deep breaths. And um, how I stay still is I just focus on breathing deeply and slowly. And I will, what I do is I will just, repeat the phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, the Jesus prayer. We'll put that on the screen. We'll give you a couple of minutes, and I just want you to be still. You don't have to do anything. Just be still. Close your eyes. 
And if it would help, you can chant the Jesus prayer and breathe slowly. <laughs>